This week, we're joined by a player whose primary character on the show truly embodies the phrase, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. We put on our detective caps to analyze investigations in-game and debut a brand new segment, Keeping It PC. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. And we're back. And we're back. That we are, Griffin. How's your weekend? It was nice. I watched four bad movies. I um, woke up on Chris's couch fully clothed twice. Oh, that's nice. Um, all in all, it was a good time. Good, uh, good, good, nice weekend. Good Easter. <laughs> yeah. He truly is risen. <laughs> he truly is risen. And uh, Matumbe might have an issue with him rising, but, you know, I don't. <laughs> We, we appreciate all here. All faiths, all creeds of the Hades Laughter Podcast. We're very welcoming. How was yours? It was good. A lot of, a lot of travel. Yeah, you just got back. Yeah, I just got back. Got to see uh, my family and Haley's family. It was pretty awesome. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Very fun. You know, got to go back to our Philly roots. Yeah, I heard you drank a lot of bourbon. I did drink a lot of bourbon. <laughs> How much bourbon was, was a lot of bourbon? Uh, <laughs> well... Uh, conservatively, like a fifth of bourbon. Yourself. Well, with Haley's dad. <laughs> I mean, still for a night, that's that's a fair amount of bourbon. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> I did not drink Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably. But you're drinking right now, right? Yeah. What are you drinking? I am drinking a Crook and Marker coconut pineapple. Ooh. Crook and Marker is quickly becoming one of my favorite... Uh, Spike Celsius, although painful on the wallet, Steve. Oh, yeah, I understand, man. How much is that thing? Well, it's no hams. I think an eight-pack is like 16 bucks. Jesus. Yep. Jesus, that's – you get like three and a half of those for for for, for that much money. Three, for, and a, three and a half hams? Three and a half of, of those, the amount of cans, is a 30-rack of hams. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting You're getting there. there. That, that took a lot to piece together. As for me – I am drinking a hams. Refreshingly cold in this 40-degree room. But yeah, we're here. We're here. And I think we have a guest. Yes, we do. This, um, our first just player feature on the show. She is the character who, when we record an evil interlude, is just doing an interlude. Hi, Haley. Hey, that's not very nice. I mean, you're evil. <laughs> I didn't start evil. You didn't stop evil either. That's true. What are you drinking, Haley? Kirk and Marger uh, Mango. And I'm not going to forget this week. We're going to listen to The Blacksmith off of Blacksmith from Sirenscape. Get the forge going. Ooh. Oh, it feels toastier already. I wish it was warmer. It's our own house. We should keep it warm. <laughs> eh. Debatable. Don't worry, as the podcast goes on, it'll quickly grow to about 85 and human in this room. So, as it traditionally does. It'll be gross. Really not looking forward to summer. It's going to get rough. Anyway, Haley, welcome to the show. 
Um, we've got you here to talk a little bit more about your specific characters, their influences, what you do in the show, outside the show. We got a lot to discuss, so let's just get right to it. How about how's that sound? I mean, good. it sounds good to me. Cool. All right, so Haley, outside of the show, what sort of Pathfinder gaming do you do? So, outside of the show, I'm currently not in any other Pathfinder games, um, but I am the GM for the Starfinder game, mm-hmm. and we have been um, well for Dead Suns. That's what we've been playing, but otherwise, uh, one shots. I've GM'd a couple one shots. I've played a couple one shots. And then I have gone through part of the Rise of the Rune Lords AP, and I've gone through up to level 10 of Skulls and Shackles AP. Oh, hell yeah. And that Dead Sons campaign. We're close, aren't we? Spoiler free, though. State of the Union. How's it going? How many of us are you going to kill before the end? As many as I can. Heard it here, fo- <laughs> heard, heard it here first, folks. I mean, that's my goal. <laughs> Rude. Very rude. Definitely not. Not rude. So what do you think of that campaign? I think that it had some rocky starts, as in I felt like it was the first at least three books were very, go to a planet and explore, go to a planet and explore. And then it started to get really heavy into background, starting in book four and then it just dove into the deep end like full immersion by book five and into book six and it was like a whole new level i felt like the last three books so far yeah i i've definitely been appreciating the campaign um i i I like in in theory the fact that you kind of bounce around the universe just learning about like the Mm -hmm. world of starfinder and the galaxy but it, it does make the, the, the first half of the um, campaign a fairly little bit disjointed, but I have been having so much fun, books four, five, and six. We've been flying through them. Really need, needed some uh, survival skill in that book, too, that we did not have. <laughs> oh, we did not have. Oh, boy. That was fun. Yeah. Made up for by uh, Command Undead in book three. <laughs> I mean, you guys also have one extra player, so you're fine. You're fine. Chris does bring a lot to the table. Until he deserts the entire party <laughs> on a rocket ship Yeah, in book five. That Barack Obama voice character was amazing. I really hope one day we could bring that to the fans. So for those of you who, who aren't familiar, our good buddy Chris, Krusty Kruss, um, played a half-elf envoy in Haley's GM run Dead Sons AP, and he voiced him at this, like, Bidding image perfect yeah. um, intonation of Barack Obama. It was insane. Phenomenal. It was fantastic too because as an envoy you frequently say go get him and stuff like that and he would just do it perfectly in Barack Obama. Yep. Go get him. <laughs> it made everyone laugh almost every time he said it even though that was his standard like action. <laughs> But so let's let's talk a little bit more about what the characters that you have brought into this campaign that our listeners have grown to know, to love, some hate because you're turning evil. Let's talk about Eclipse a little bit. So something I've wanted to touch on in this show for a little while now is to find is to 
talk to you guys about your specific influences behind your characters. So is there a book you read or a movie you saw, a character you fell in love with that really drove the creation of Eclipse? I mean, for Eclipse specifically, there were actually, there's not a whole lot of things that I like specifically drew from this book or this movie. I think it just was, I don't know, I wanted, I wanted to play a little bit creepier of a character who didn't really understand that she was creepy. Sure. But, um, like, that was my, my goal. Really? She doesn't get that she's creepy? No, no, she really doesn't think she's creepy. She doesn't understand why she doesn't have friends. Um, she's just misunderstood. Of course, of course. So, I mean, realistically, I just kind of had that in my head, like, that's what I want to play going into this, and then I made a character that would fit what I felt like would play that best. So you started with some sort of emotion, and then, like, kind of built backwards from there. So so what came next in your mind? Was it, was it race? Was it class? Um, yeah, well, I almost always... I'll either start with, so I wanted to play, like, right, a creepy character who doesn't understand she's creepy. Mm-hmm. Well, so then my next question is, why would she be creepy, or why would she not understand why she's creepy? So then I was like, well, she's definitely going to be adopted, because that's why she won't understand she's creepy, because it's like her parents are being treated normal, her parents treat her like she's normal, trying to make her feel better, because she clearly doesn't, like, look like anyone around. So then I go into the races, right? Um... And then doing a lot of, I do like a lot of really obsessive research over every race that I end up choosing. <laughs> so going through, and I really liked the story of Wyangs generally being, uh, you know, looked down upon slaves. They tend to escape through the north. They tend to do a lot of like running away or just staying within themselves. So it's like, she was raised by really normal hum- humans, actually, as a Wyang who ran away. So she just she just wants to fit in at this point. And so, like, that's kind of where I'd go with that. That's where I picked the race. And I just did a lot of research on, like, a bunch of them. I basically, I went by, like, oh, that looks cool. I don't know what that is. And then I'd do a bunch of research on it. And I'd be like, nope, doesn't fit or does fit. And I went through with it. And then back to the creep factor. So why is she creepy? figured out why she doesn't know she's creepy and then i'd go to why is she creepy and that i figured had to do something with her class as well uh-huh. let's just add on to it yeah so just got to playing and i've never played a cultist before so i figured why not so you picked haunt collector was that because you knew this was a undead heavy campaign or was that because that in your mind is like the creepiest occultist uh, I picked Haunt Collector because I saw the words Haunt Collector and thought, oh boy, she gets to now collect the things around her, keep them with her forever. She will be the ultimate creep fest who just wants to be, just wants to have friends, realistically. So like, I didn't pick it necessarily because of that, as much as like, that still fits in with my, she just wants friends. Now she can keep them with her forever. Perfect. That's not creepy to her. Totally creepy to everyone else. This fits in with my whole vibe. I could say you're playing it phenomenally. The Thanks. creep factor is definitely there. And I wanted to touch on in these past couple of episodes. So in the past two episodes, we've kind of 
gotten to know the crooked kin. You guys spent your last couple of days traveling, and then you made it to Lepidstat, and you did some investigation there. For Eclipse, you know, she's still kind of hanging behind and talking to the lopper, and I think it was a really interesting moment when you kind of tied in not only what's going on with Ikmer, but also what's going on with Lyra. And it seems like your character is almost trying to, like, get buddy-buddy with the other players by almost exposing their flaws or the, the monsters that they have. Can you explain, like, why you decided to do that? So, again, I want... I am very lonely. Like, realistically, my character is extremely lonely. She wants to be around people as long as possible. Mission is coming to an end. We are about to drop off books. She needs to find a reason to stay around them, and she does not. She doesn't realistically think that her just talking to them is enough. She needs to make sure that they need her. They feel like she is something more than just like a friend. So that she doesn't leave. Friendship. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and and how much of that, you know, objectively do you think you drew from your the character's motivations that you brought into this campaign? And how much of that is the character's motivations as influenced by Vance? So basically what the what my question boils down to is if Vance were not infecting her mind and whispering terrible things in the back of her head, would she still try to do that to these people? Or maybe instead of like exposing them as monsters, do you think she might try to like expose different parts of their personality to keep them together? Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is influenced by Vance, but I I do think that she would try to bring out kind of the tragedy that they have may have experienced because she can relate to that mm-hmm. a little bit better. And then she would probably actually share her tragedies and like the need to, I want to be around you. And I think that's how she would have played it. So like not, ex- not like blackmail, but say like you have gone through some crap. So have I like, please let's stick together Start versus commiserate with people. Right. Yeah. So I think she would have done that versus the whole, you are a monster. Perfect. Stay with me. So you've had, oh, geez, about 10 episodes post-corruption now. You fought Vance in 26. Uh-huh. Just released, or are just about to release 36. How do you think your role play of Eclipse has changed before and after? Because... Let's all be honest, she was definitely creepy before. She was definitely, you know, collecting dead people before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, she was creepy before. And she did collect dead people before, but she focused on people who were already lost, she felt. Right? So, like, she has her mother, and she has uh, Liana, And they came to her more than she necessarily drew them to her on purpose, right? And so she she spent a lot more time just kind of lost herself and a little sad. She was really trying to find herself. Again, she comes from pretty secluded area. Um, 
she didn't have a lot of friends. She was homeschooled. I mean, she really was uh, like alone before. And so I think now that she's finding herself, I think my role play would have changed regardless. It's just now it's trending on the evil and extra, extra creepy side. (laughs) Sure. Instead of learning social skills. So I have one more question and then we'll turn it over to Nana Opal. So maybe this isn't exactly an Eclipse question, but it's definitely one that I want Haley's response to. What are your player theories on Vance? What do you think his motives are or the reason you got singled out and that kind of thing? I'm curious to hear that if you have any thoughts. I think Vance knows an easy victim when he sees him. Like, that's where I would think why I I got preyed on. I would have been arms wide open and willing to, like, have another friend regardless because I would think, like, at worst, if he's with me, he can't do any harm. But still, like, I'm easy prey. Lyra tries to be good. Ikmer, like desperately wants to be a good boy and he's so young and innocent and then we have super religious Matumbe. That's right. (laughs) I think I would be innocent prey and I think that's why I would have been potentially chosen. Um, But I don't know. Maybe there is something else in his life that he knew. I mean, I know Wyangs live a long time so I don't know if he thought I was someone else or what. But I I do know they live a long time. So Yeah, it's definitely interesting that he seems to at this point have gone to decently great lengths to help you as opposed to control you and chop all your friends heads off. (laughs) Well, Haley, it's time to start talking about a completely different character. This one, as soon as I heard you do the voice knew was going to be a fan favorite. (laughs) Undoubtedly. Tell me about Nana Opal. So I I do want to start this the same way we started the discussion with eclipse. Um, what sort of inspiration did you had? And then did you, once you got that inspiration, where did you work? So race, class, in what direction, motivation, background, I don't know. I wanted to play a changeling. And that came first? That came first. Cool. I wanted to play a changeling 100%. And the reason for that is, I, I mean, I read a lot of fantasy books growing up. I escaped reality often in book form, right? So one of the books that I read multiple times over is Poison. Um, It's by, I think, Chris Wooding. Yeah, Chris Wooding. Uh, And and the book is just called Poison. It's a small, uh, thin little paper book, back book. I got it when my my nana worked worked in a bookstore, and so frequently we got the, like, unpublished, not quite done with editing version to, like, test the waters, so I'd get free books constantly. Awesome. So I have this one, and it, I know it has like a couple spelling errors because as a nerdy little kid, I of course like wrote and underlined where there was an error. Um, you know, <laughs> while right. I read it. Yeah, no wonder you play Pathfinder. <laughs> 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 so, um, anyways, basically, Poison is the main character, uh, and her baby sister's taken, replaced with a changeling. And there's a whole, like, culture and community based on that. And, like, it's very creepy. And there is, like, a super creepy kind of Hansel and Gretel witch-type person. And she's the bone witch. And 
it's so so creepy and I really like that book and I've, I still have read it a couple of times like as an adult if I can't sleep I'll, I'll like read it so I want to play Changeling and then the Bone Witch was like a cool thing and like obviously she's a Hansel and Gretel style so like eating children style so then it led me to the what, Horror Adventures book I think that's where it is yep it's oh, in yeah. the Horror Adventures so I read that and when I read that uh that little thing uh, in there, the character description of a um, gingerbread witch. I that was that was it. I was I was one hundred percent sold. There was no question about it. This is one hundred percent creepy. It is reminds me of the book Poison, and I was I was done. So I don't even know if we've mentioned it in the Evil Interlude, or at least it doesn't feature prominently that Nana Opal is a changeling. I think that's kind of interesting. I'm wondering if you're going to make it feature prominently the next time we do an evil interlude. I think if there's, if, if I think it would very easily come up, um, as you guys probably have caught on, she has a, a love obsession with, uh, Tar Buffon and that is her calling. And so change lanes, you know, going through puberty, that's, that's, they get a calling no matter what it is, usually it's you go to your mom's side or your dad's side, but either way, when you hit purity, you get a calling, and hers is Tarboff on. That is it. 100%. Weird. I never knew that. That's crazy. Yeah. So from the age of 13, she had already decided. Ew. Uh-huh. So it's been... Ew. It's been about 50 years. Dear God. Of, gross. Of gross obsession. It's got that burning desire. <laughs> Dear Lord. Oh, she's gross. She has more nasties. (laughs) We have the wonderful opportunity. It's just me, and it's just the player behind Nana Opal and and the player behind Saw Moon Isle. Can you guys talk a little bit about, especially in the second part of the Evil Interlude, the one we did for Christmas, how their relationship developed and how you guys as players made that happen. You or me first. Go ahead, Steve. All right. So I know we, when we had our last drunken disorderly session, um, I think we had a, we had a similar topic uh, early in the night. And I feel like when Haley and I play PCs at the same table, we either tend to be like best friends or worst enemies or our characters are. And I had no, we had no plans beforehand about how our characters should interact in the evil interlude. Um, I, I'm sure we'll talk a little, uh, much more in detail at some part about Saw. Um, but I was coming into that with a character that was deliberately made to be a, a loose cannon, a, a true, a true monster, not you know a monster of the spirit or emotion, just a, a physical, rage-filled person, and. Um, when when Nana Oval first offered him that cookie, like I just knew so- something great was going to happen. So you may have not had no intention of. Uh oh, what's going on here? Keeping a character, I guess, or like doing something uh, with the characters like this. But Nana Opal had always had plans to gain a keeper of her home. So that is another thing from the book that I read. The Bone Witch had a keeper of the home who, like, at one point when when the child gets stuck in this Bone Witch's house, refuses to help her. 
Oh my god! And uh, because they've become like, a, a, you know, basically dependent and uh, a slave without uh, without really being a slave to this bone witch. And the bone witch is blind, and so bone witch relies on the like kind of slavish person to keep the house. So I had every intention of trying to get something similar, where Nana Opal relies on Saw now to get her children. That's amazing because <laughs> pull back the pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, after we recorded that Halloween Evil interlude, um, a couple months later, Griff hit us all up. Hey, I want to do something for Christmas. We're going to record another Evil interlude, and we had an opportunity to level our characters up. And you know, we had a week or two before we were going to record. And I shot Haley a text, you know, something to the extent of. Like, hey, I, I really like enjoyed the way our characters vibed off each other, and it really seems like we had the beginning of an extraordinarily unhealthy relationship defined as like someone completely taking advantage of a very hurt, broken, uh, mind-altering substance addicted person, sick in body and of mind. And I wanted to play that up. And Haley's like, cool, that's exactly what I was thinking. And little did I know that (laughs) she had this planned the entire time. (laughs) The real puppet master pulling the string. The real puppet master. Yeah. I was going to say, it makes it only better that you decided to be Tiger because... Uh, again, also in the book, Peppercorn, who is the like slave person ha- to the Bone Witch, has a highly intelligent cat as well. Oh my god! So like, I literally, I was like, this is perfect. Must feed him cookies. This is well, unhealthy. Apparently, just read the book Poison, and you'll get the entire <laughs> inter- evil interlude synopsis. Not true. Not true. That's only actually like a very small couple chapters of the book, but it hit home. <laughs> Well, there's more to come for sure. Um, I know that's one of our Patreon tiers. I know we're going to put some of the, some new Evil Interludes out. So, so hopefully sooner rather than later. I'm so excited to play these characters again. I know Griffin has all sorts of plans. Evil plans. Evil plans. I mean, good plans because you're evil. Oh, I guess that is interesting. Yeah, you're right. That would make sense. I that would be, be bad for us. Good guys. I'm the good guys for once. now. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I know everybody else is. But, Haley, I want to talk to you about another PC. This brand new segment I like to call Keeping It PC, because that's what we do on the HLP. Yeah, definitely keep it PC. Yep. <laughs> All right, so, um, I'm not sure. Are we going to have any minor spoilers for Rise of the Rune Lords here? No. Okay, good. I so, will do my best to, to, to not, not interject with full spoilers. <laughs> Phenomenal. Okay, so I know a little while ago that um, before all of this podcasting happened, um, Haley, you were playing in Griffin's GM run of Rise of the Rune Lords. I know, I'm, I'm painfully aware that you played a lizard folk who worshipped Lamash too. Mother of fuck. As Why did PC I let that happen? <laughs> in this campaign. And I, I, I've always had a whole bunch of questions about this character. Um <laughs> But I, I think I think she sounds really interesting, and I'd like to talk about uh, talk about her on the show. So, without further ado, who is this person? What are their motivations? How do they fit in the story? Answer any of those questions in any order. Probably with the name first. Yakuz is my character's name. Y U R Y I K U Z R Z. Just Z. Just Z. I know how to spell my character's name. Yeah, you're doing flawlessly. So <laughs> good on words. All right. 
Listen, uh, you've been talking a lot already. You've been talking a lot. One or two flubs we're fine with. Yes. This isn't the regular show. This is more than she usually <laughs> says in a day. So. <laughs> Shut it. So basically, I uh, really wanted to play a barbarian. And then I asked Griffin if any race was allowed, including one I kind of build slash use a third party uh, race for. And so I, I was allowed to do that. I did not tell him what my plan was originally. So that was probably his mistake. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I said yes within reason. Like, I wasn't going to let you play some super OP race, but... Yeah. I am pretty lenient on those things. Yeah, I'm just going to roll up this Aslanti, no big deal. Plus two to <laughs> all, my, all my stats. It's the Aslanti way. So, uh, basically, though, I, I made a lizard folk type race, um... And I created my barbarian. Uh, also didn't let Griffin know <laughs> that I was a neutral bordering evil character once again. Because uh, apparently that's also my thing. But a neutral character who play, who worship Lameshu. So if you know anything about the Runelords campaign, uh, it's not evil. <laughs> it's in, not evil. In fact... Servants of Lamash 2 are enemies throughout at least the first part of the campaign. But I was the best one. Griffin, how did you allow this? It was an interesting way that Haley roleplayed this character to justify why the character would kill other worshippers of Lamash 2. And, and if I may interject, could you also explain for the people at home who is Lamash 2? I can, but oh. let him explain that. <laughs> oh, get in, get into it. <laughs> Sorry, I read way too much about this god. Because I also do another thing. I wor- like If I worship a god, it's going to be way too much in Pathfinder because I am all or nothing, apparently. So, um, basically, Lamashu is the mother of monsters. That's like the, the namesake. So she's a female goddess, a chaotic evil of madness, monsters, and nightmares. <laughs> and that was the big thing, like... You had to be into monsters or a monster or willing to fuck your shit up so that you became a monster. And I was already playing a monstrous race. And so it's not actually uncommon for lizard folk in small tribes to worship Lamashtu. So at least the why I worshipped was fine. But the back to the griffin question, right, of how, how you allowed it... And how I role-played it. Yeah, so I justified it because her character was basically adamant that she was the pinnacle of Lamashtu worship, that she was the best and, like, the supreme beast. Nice. And so she basically attacked other Lamashtu worshippers because they were not worthy. They were false. <laughs> That was the one thing I was very irritated by. And it was weird. It was like, put a death machine in a certain context and it becomes a hero. Sure. So that's basically what her character was. It was like right place for this neutral, bordering evil character to be a hero of the town. Yeah, you did eat. You ate several people. You made bone statues, the whole nine. Because I then became a shaman. Oh my. 
So I was the shaman dip off barbarian. Five yeah, it was levels really of weird. barbarian and two levels of shaman. What in the world? <laughs> Best shaman ever. <laughs> Uh, so basically I had decided that after I had been a barbarian for so long, my last rage power I took was, uh, the cult totem and it just, it was very, becoming very clear. I was dipping way farther into my religion and becoming way more into that than I was previously. And I was spending a lot of time in the woods due to all the bodies I was eating and burying and then making suits out of, um, what? Just, just head pieces. Horn armor. (laughs) Just head pieces. It's fine. Imagine if it wasn't horns. (laughs) Dear God. (laughs) Um, but I, I did put like a lot of animal bones too to kind of disguise it. But who was it? Oh, the the lady whose family owned Glassworks or something. I don't know. We we don't want to go into spoilers territory. Okay. Either way, I won't touch that then. But I became a shaman. I had, uh, I went out and I like looked up common animals and uncommon animals in the location. And I found an uncommon one, but I figured if I spent enough time in the woods, I would actually run into one. And my companion was a dodo. Do you play like not weird shit ever? (laughs) Yeah, I I was very. Very surprised she wanted to p- play a fucking creepy character in the in the Carrying Crown adventure path after she played this one. I was like, well, you definitely have a type. <laughs> yeah. I I was a weird kid. Um, you still are weird. <laughs> don't don't sell yourself short. I just let it come out in the podcast now instead of like all day long. Oh well, that must be helpful for everyone that interacts with you. Hope. Well, we all have contingency plans if certain things happen in the podcast and certain characters have to go away. No spoilers whatsoever, but is, go- is, is your backup character for Carrion Crown a monster who is totally evil and eating people? I want to be extremely clear. I have no contingency plans, <laughs> and I have no backups. <laughs> The hubris. Yakuza 2020. (laughs) (laughs) I have no plans because I would rather obsess for like, once I find out something might happen, I would rather obsess for a week and figure it out based on what's just happened or what's around than like have something ready because I, 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 that's how I work. All right. So what I can read off of that is you'll just fall back to your old ways, pull out the cannibalistic lizard man. Yeah. yeah, probably cannibalistic. Hey, you know what? My swashbuckler was not a cannibal. Oh. No, but you did take the religion thing way too far and threw like plus one <laughs> mithril chain overboard. Besmara on the- needed it. Besmara oh. asked for it. Besmara needs her cut. Let me just throw this sick <laughs> loot overboard. I Are did you throw kidding me? routinely <laughs> about a thousand kidding. gold over the side every combat. <laughs> Besmara needs a cut. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and I'm like over there like, I'm the captain of this fucking ship. What are you doing? <laughs> and I just kept throwing stuff over the side for Besmara. <laughs> so fucking funny. Well, Haley, we have thoroughly uh, gone into all three of these past characters. I know there's more in the bank that maybe we'll talk about one day, but we got to keep the show moving forward. 
we're going to move into a little dive into us all being kid detectives. Put on that detective cap. Pull out that magnifying glass. Let's talk about investigations in your game. All right. Investigations, man. I'll tell you what. This episode that we just recorded, you know, it felt a little bit like, you know, the beginning of book one where we're trying to figure stuff out we're rolling checks we it's a little it's a little open-ended a little sandboxy i had a lot of fun man that was great investigating is i think one of the great joys about low-level pathfinder and and even low-level starfinder which we'll talk about in a bit with Haley, is that your characters and and you do have some powers now and you're you know, you're effective but you're not a divination wizard. You're not. Sure. You're not like a level ten party could probably take this investigation and just like it's over with magic and other means. So I think Paizo likes to, and and I liked. I enjoy doing this in in lower level stuff, like throwing out investigations. You know, the it's much more fun to me than a player or a party going straight to like a dungeon or getting all the answers really quickly. Yeah, some exposition dump. I almost like it more than in in book one and the way it was written was a lot of you guys researching, but not really going places and, and investigating crime scenes or that kind of stuff. So I've run a couple of investigations. We're getting ready to run a big one in Trial of the Beast as, you know, those of you that have listen to the most recent episode have heard they're just really fun and I think they're they're a really nice like interlude from combat for the most part where you let some of the lesser used skills get flexed you let the you know the players kind of set the pace and try and figure out more information where they want to and where I think where they draw their own conclusions. So it's like, oh, well, this information was given to us. I wonder if this, this, and this. And they can kind of go on their own trails to find different information. So I've run, I'm running this one in Trial of the Beast. There's also a big investigation in book two of Rise of the Rune Lords, which I won't get into spoilers there, but was really fun to run because it's a, it's a big mixture of investigating a crime scene, using your survival, using your perception, using a praise in some cases for, for items that you find that during an investigation and a praise check gives you a little bit different information than it would when you just find like a plus one battle axe. It also lets you interrogate people and talk to people that you probably would never talk to in other circumstances. So you get to see a lot more of the the backstory of, of an area because you're meeting a lot of its citizens trying to get this information. So I think investigations are kind of an integral part in role-playing and, and they're, they're used a lot. I think they're really fun. One way that I like to run them that maybe not every GM likes to run them, I'm not going to give you guys everything, but I like to give you a couple different routes to the same information. Yep. So if something maybe required a survival check, maybe it also knowledge nature can work or maybe 
you know, a high enough perception can do the job of survival. If if your party composition is not one that's that's probably suited for investigating, maybe you can use some other skills. And I think that makes it so the players don't feel useless. If there was not that you guys do in this campaign, but there are a lot of times when you got your wizard high knowledges not much else you got like a fighter that doesn't really have a ton of knowledge this period a cleric who gets two skill ranks a level doesn't have a lot of stuff and and maybe one other class and if that other class is not a rogue with a bunch of other skills or a bard with a bunch of social skills you might miss out on a lot of information so i think my style running investigations lends itself to giving the players options and maybe you find out different tidbits so when you say that are, is this additional prep work uh, for you ahead of time where you're where you're reading through the material and saying, okay, I could add in this additional check or change this in a certain way? Or are you up here and and thinking on the fly and, and changing as, as it goes? I think for me, it's mostly on the fly. For me, it's like, here's this check. I know what information it's supposed to determine. I know how that information is supposed to be determined. So I am, you know, I've been GM in a decent amount of time. I know what skills might be adjacently applicable to something. So I'll just come up with another, either the same DC or higher or lower based on how difficult I think doing it kind of the side route is going to be. It doesn't really require a lot more prep time for me because it's, it's really just, you know, okay, this works with knowledge engineering as well. Maybe we should just roll that. And let's say you add these extra things in. You change it a little bit. You're jiving with your players, making the skill checks work for the party applicably. What I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get the feeling that this was the case with us. But what if you had a party, and maybe you have had a party that was bombing skill checks and not asking the right questions, and maybe not bringing themselves to the answers they needed? Do you find a way to give them the the answers to that question, or? are there serious ramifications for that party because they either flubbed the investigation with roles or weren't, you know, asking the right questions, talking to the right people. I definitely am not the kind of GM that's just going to give you the information. We're aware. I'm definitely not the kind of GM that's, I mean, I feel like a decent amount of the time I'm pointing you in the correct direction. Mm -hmm. And then whether you take that, you know, you take my compass or you decide to go in a different direction is completely up to you. I will say that when that scenario happens, usually the ramifications are some sort of combat or some sort of bad thing happening to an NPC or something, because usually an investigation is for something ongoing that is bad, Yeah, that, that is in some way bad and is like the impetus for the campaign. There's a delicate balance between driving it forward and just giving the players everything. So you definitely got to ride that line, and I think that's why in a party of four, I found that that making dual skill checks is often the way to, to be able to give the information while still having somebody have to make a check. If that doesn't work, you don't get the information. It's that simple. Now, this is going to be a particularly fun one because we have Eclipse who has these psychic powers that that can potentially give her information. 
I think what's going to be really interesting here is things that we've already introduced, like Eclipse seeing the scene from one side and, you know, the information is still left in the dark. While she is still gaining information, she's not getting everything from these checks. I think that's important to pull out when you have characters that have these powers that make investigation somewhat trivial. The other side of that is that we know you guys are potentially trying to investigate for the beast. Psychic evidence is not going to be admitted in court. You're going to have to have hard evidence. So either way, either way, that might give you guys a sense of, oh, well, you know, X happened, but you can't prove it until you actually prove it. And, and, and Haley, I know you have some experience with this as well from our Dead Sons campaign. Is what Griffin's saying, um, you drive in with, what, with how you prepare that kind of stuff. Uh, what was your experience with that? Did we uh, fuck it up really bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rude. Very rude. Well, okay, so there's a couple things, right? This was my first time GMing, and it was the first book and the first Starfinder campaign that was written. And we consume much more alcohol during Starfinder sessions. Like, so much. So, anyways, uh, investigation, let's just say, that didn't go so well. So I kept trying to put the clues in in different ways. Guys, we're really focused on something. I remember being, you guys were, like, super focused on, like, this office building or something. And I explicitly, like, put a note on the door or something silly that definitely didn't exist in the game. Just to be like, leave this place alone. It means nothing. <laughs> and oh, we kept going. We wanted to. <laughs> we wanted to go into the Hard Scrabble Collective's trailer. Kick that door down. <laughs> I know. And then I was just like, all right. Well, they're just gonna call y'all up. And I. So I kind of. I didn't force it. I made it. I tried to make it sound as natural as possible because they're very pivotal, like plot points. Um, but if you didn't ask the questions, most of the time you didn't really get the answer. I just gave you enough to keep going with stuff. Yeah. To keep looking into it. Because you certainly don't want like the session or even the game itself to like grind to a halt or die because your players are too dumb. At the, at the end, you right. still want to play. I mean, or too drunk or <laughs> yep. whatever it might be or get focused on like a specific object or thing or person and like never be able to leave it, right? So I, I, I try to work in natural reasons why you would be diverted from that thing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty fair. I think I, I yes, I got you guys away from the building by having alcohol on board something so that you guys would purposefully come up and like have a drink because drunk oh, that, people that will works. listen to that. Yeah, that's what it was. I used alcohol. Clever girl. Alcohol in game to convince drunk people to get where I needed them to go. Hey, come have a drink with us on this ship. Fuck yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're. Uh... I know my players. <laughs> and that's what it comes down to, folks. You gotta know your players. <laughs> Anything more to add here, guys? Because we got some questions to get to. Yeah, for sure. Let's hit them. Okay, so our first one comes from good friend of the pod. Good dude, friend on the Discord, Mr. Hootington. Zone of Truth question. Have any of you run into a situation where a PC has had an alignment change and, and would Griffin do it to a PC if said PC's actions went against their alignment? 
I wanted to save this one because we got it a really long time ago and we saw the writing on the wall that this was going to happen to Eclipse. So we're doing it. Yeah, I think we have the perfect people in the room for this. So, yes, I definitely will do that to my players. But this time with Eclipse, it was through the corruption mechanic, which actually forced her to change alignment. I think if that was not written into the corruption mechanic, it would have been a much slower process. I have done this to a character before. Oh, yeah? Yeah, uh, Miss Yakuz that we just talked about. Oh, and here it comes full circle. (laughs) Yakuz started off as a chaotic neutral character, as many of Haley's characters do. And I think it was probably... Oh, it was definitely the tag team disarmed surrendered manslaughter and then you consuming his corpse gotta that, hide that evidence um, that, that you know I just was like yeah you know just drop drop one towards it. you're chaotic evil now like n- no you can't argue with me that's where you're at you just ate a person and you're continuing to eat people you're continuing to eat people you have not stopped eating people this campaign you're evil how many people does a person need to eat in your campaign before you force an alignment change? If they're not a lizard person, one. If they're a lizard person, I can forgive one. <laughs> Get one freebie if you're bringing a lizard man. <laughs> yeah, so I have done it outside of the HLP. We also had kind of a more natural one in our Dead Sons campaign, which, fortunate enough, is now Haley turning the table on me. I chose to have my character slowly over the course of many books become evil. Uh, And he did so because he was basically consumed with his hatred for the undead, much like Matumbe might be, but in a different way because he was experimented on in Eox, which in Starfinder is the planet of the undead. So, Haley, do you want to talk at all about GMing for that? Well, I think I drove you towards being evil on accident. Uh, so you already had a strong hatred and, and were, in fact, quite racist against uh, Eoxians as a whole. Fact. Yeah. Um, hey, they could be any race, but if they're undead... <laughs> I, yeah, you just specifically... Yeah, you were you were not very nice... Um, but, uh, you know, let it go a little bit there. Like, very, still neutral, still neutral. Just, you know, hate all Eoxians. And then um, I trapped you by your parents' original captors and tortured you while your friends were almost dying. And then uh, you turned the tables and became, like, I feel like there was a switch there. And you just went balls to the wall, like, I don't care about my life anymore. I'm going to kill every last one of these people. And that was, I believe, the turning point where you became evil. Yeah. And it's lasted for a couple books now. I think I was evil at book three, right? Yeah. I mean, most recently, uh, you have hatched a plot and are trying to convince others to destroy the entire packed world, so... I'm doing a pretty fucking good job of convincing, by the way. Oh, yes. You've gotten three of the five party members. It did not 
take much convincing for my, like, Intelligence 8 Vesk soldier that it was time to wipe out the Pact Worlds. Well, we're in a very interesting situation where three of the five of our current party are characters that have existed from book one. Like, they're the first characters we started with. And the other two are, you know, one of the characters died and another one left and a new character came. The player is the same, but wanted to bring in a new character. And so it was really easy for my character to kind of corrupt these characters by basically forming like a party alliance. Like we're the, we're the old guard. They're the new guard, like kind of dynamic, but I feel like evil PCs and campaigns totally doable as long as they're played right. Yeah. I think, you know, Yakuz might have been an extreme character, but every, you know, cannibal action or whatever, for whatever reason, wasn't looked down on by the party. You were a little bit secretive with it, but I think John's character knew about it. He liked it because he kept serving up what he thought was swift fucking justice and killing people while I ate the evidence. (laughs) It was fine. It's a great symbiotic relationship right there. (laughs) So... So if you're sitting down at a table with a with a uh, with a person on the HLP GM and alignment shift is definitely in the cards. Oh yeah, hundred percent, and will be imposed swiftly. All right, I don't want a long drawn on answer because who knows what's going to happen in the future. But Griffin, let's say that Eclipse starts doing good stuff. What's that going to mean for her in the future? Is that going to be a huge problem with the corruption? No, I think the Lopper will just start asserting himself more. So Eclipse might be redeemable, but it's going to be an uphill fight. I think you're going to have to get rid of the Lopper to redeem her. That's tough. If such a thing is possible. If she doesn't get to Matumbe first. <laughs> if Matumbe falls, the rest oh, of the party Oh, I see. You're, falls. A, you're, asking, you're asking just in Matumbe's nope, interest. Nope, nope, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I did have the Lopper take a pretty hard stance against you. <laughs> yep. The, the line in the sand has drawn... Who would have thought that the uh, completely neutral Inquisitor of Phrasma would be the force of good in the party? <laughs> the moral compass. The moral compass. Murderer himself. <laughs> Shh. They don't need to know about that. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about like the podcast in general. We've talked about how it started. We've talked about um, getting everything set up, getting everything rolling, all the prep work we put in. But I'm not sure that we ever have talked on air about... The, the emotional side of getting the podcast started. Our next question comes from our friend at Deoxyurea. You know her as Robin. What were your biggest fears creating a podcast and how did you get past this? I think this is really interesting. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Because it's so valid. Yeah. Like, you know, one day we weren't having a, we weren't recording a podcast and one day we were. And we were putting ourselves out in front of uh, tons of people. Like a lot more people than I would have thought. Yep. Well, you made the joke several times in like our first four or five episodes, like, hey, mom. Yep. Because I kind of just expected close friends and family to pity listen. But now we've got people listening like all over the place, which is awesome. But there were some fears that we had to to get through first. You want to kick us off, Steve? I do. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an open book. I'm not too much of a private person, but you know, I get anxious in social settings um i guess my 
my biggest fear would my biggest fear about starting the podcast is that friends and family would listen and friends and family would continue to listen because they felt like kind of indebted to us that like all our we would keep doing this for a long time just for like pity <laughs> yeah lessons. just be them <laughs> yeah and that's that's really what got me the most is that what if we're doing this for a month or a year or, or who knows how long and we're really just doing this like for the people that listen out of pity and that's proven to be not the case which is so exciting and amazing um but I guess that was my biggest thing that I didn't want to invest the time, the effort, the heart and the money into it. If it was just going to be like something that people listen to because they felt bad about it. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. How did I get past it? I don't know. I just sucked it up. <laughs> Suck it up for the first couple. Then you see, we did that test episode. And although by today's standards, it was rough and choppy and insane, but I listened to it and was like, okay, there's something here that, that is listenable. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the test episode definitely at least helped put us at ease a little bit. And we'll never see the light of day. Yeah. Miss I, I, the Mwangi. I argue that did not help me at all because I was struggling to listen. I was I like couldn't pay attention. I had no idea what was happening. I still don't know what we did during that entire thing. <laughs> like I have no recollection rec- recollection at all. We could play it again literally tomorrow and I would have no idea what we were supposed to do. So you just blocked it out of your memory. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Yeah, I have no idea what happened. I refuse to listen to it. I I still struggle to listen to episodes unless I'm editing, in fact. Um so I like I it's, it's have like a lot of social anxiety i have a lot of anxiety uh, as a whole um not at work and so i don't think a lot of people would recognize that if they saw me in my everyday life i feel very calm and uh confident at work uh because i'm in my element but uh you throw me at a a party you throw me on a oh god a stage like the thought of it has made my stomach turn already sitting in this room with my two best friends Aww. And uh, because I don't do that well. So, you know, the first episodes, I was extremely shaky, extremely nervous. I still sit down to record sometimes and I'm nervous, especially if I do literally any role play. Um, I don't I'm not good with showing my creative side unless it is a more like private thing. Like, I don't know. That's that's not something I did. Why do you think we drink so much, listeners? (laughs) <laughs> we all have deep set emotional issues. I think for me, it was definitely the, um, the fear of failure. Sure. It was, I mean, I think you, you both can agree cause you both probably got the brunt of me talking about it the most. It's like, this was clearly a thing I was pretty passionate about and wanted to do for a really long time. And there's a bunch of stuff that goes into it that scares you. It's like the, the cost of starting up, not cheap if you want to get the stuff that you know as you're trolling the podcast forums people recommend you worry about how your own voice sounds i remember that distinctly i hated listening to like the first seven episodes until i got used to it and it sucked because i'm so used to doing voices around you guys just playing around the table that it took me a while to when i heard the silly voice i did in the show 
I'm like, well, that didn't sound exactly like I wanted it to come across and how I felt like it came across. Damn it. But it just takes time. I think podcasting and getting comfortable podcasting, yeah, you're going to be afraid about opening yourself up to other people, but I think the beauty of the medium is that you never have to release something that you're not happy with. I mean, no one's forcing you to release the episode this week. Granted, we like to keep it on a schedule and we want to be like clockwork, but no one's gun to your head like, you got to give me this. I mean, we're giving people a free product. If we really thought something was terrible, you know, we, we don't have to put it out. You also have the beauty of editing that I think makes should make you more comfortable if you are somebody that's that's podcasting you should be more comfortable with hey that shitty you know tangent i went on i can cut it out hey when i stumbled over my words there i can cut it out all those breaths all those pops all that whatever i can cut it out so i would just say do it even if you just do it for you yeah and then as far as i I didn't touch on this at all though the the how i got over it is I mean, as you heard, Griffin was really uh, passionate about it. I heard nothing but stuff about the podcast, and I saw how important it was to him. And I saw, again, I felt like it was another way to play Pathfinder with friends. And that kind of helped me continue doing it. But I don't know if I've ever gotten over those initial... I I don't think I've ever been over those fears, right? Like, they still exist to this day. They are still something that happens occasionally when I sit down. Oh, gosh. The first drunken disquarterly. I got wasted, but I got wasted in part because I was so nervous. (laughs) Because I'm not cool, calm, and collected in any way whatsoever. (laughs) So I don't think the fears are necessarily gone, but I think it's a healthy amount of challenge for myself in my life, and I appreciate that. It's a, it's a challenge to bring out my creative size, and it's a challenge to continue to do something weekly on a schedule with my friends that we really enjoy, and I think I enjoy that the most. And for me, when it comes down to it, you know, Haley, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier. We're, we're all best friends here, Brooks and Emily included, like... If we're if we were gonna fail, if it all fell apart, if we were only getting pity listens, if we were having trouble, you know, getting our creative side out, at least we're gonna fail together, right? Like, well, yeah, so and we'll I fail kept, having fun with so our friends. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I kept thinking, like, at worst, we just stop using the mics and we just keep playing Carrie and Crown, right? Like, at worst, like and it's that's still what a possibility. Kept, that's what we I kept repeating to myself. <laughs> like, at worst, we just keep playing Carrie and Crown. You know, we could really fly through the rest of this campaign if we didn't record an hour and a half long chunks. So just throwing that out there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think we're, I think we are good on time. So I'm going to ask one more question for the group and then we're going to do a little lightning round of questions for Haley. Chain lightning round? Chain lightning round because we like to do spell things here. Okay. This question comes from our buddy Nathaniel. Um, he, he goes by Cato on the discord. Um, he's local to Columbus. He's a great dude. We have a lot of fun with hanging out with him on the drunken Discorderly. So he's asking what things about how you play the game changes on and off air with broadcasting the game to the world. You're opening up a ton of different kinds of perspectives. Do you ever think about that and let it influence your decisions? 
I love this question. I say that about every question, but I do yeah. love this question. I really like this one. I think we've kind of talked about the first part, like how our gameplay has changed from running a podcast. Mm-hmm. But the second part is really interesting. I definitely think in terms of running a, a tight, listenable game, that's become a priority. I feel like I try not to let us go on tangents like we normally would. I yep. think, you know, yes, we're not perfect on the rules by any stretch of the imagination. But on the podcast, we genuinely try. I think we try to bring a lot of different perspectives to the world, even though, you know, yes, we have girls on the podcast and stuff, which I absolutely love. But, you know, we all live in Columbus, Ohio. We're not necessarily the most worldly people out there. I, I think we... We give it our best shot to create characters that are that that are multidimensional and that are not all from the same place and that have different backgrounds and different experiences and and can be from different parts of the world and coexist in the same place and in the same party and get along. So I don't you guys would be better speaking to this than I am because you have created characters in this world, but I think as a person running the game, Ustalov is supposed to be an insular, superstitious place. I'm running it that way, but I don't think I'm running it that way as intensely as I maybe would in us just playing and not being recorded. Because I'm trying to be inclusive of your characters and I'm trying to allow the different viewpoints and stuff to, to come up. So I think that might be the biggest change for me is that by the book, I would I would have definitely been, you know, superstitious villagers. Oh, Wyang is going to get like shunned from from the bar and from shops and stuff. I didn't want it to be that way because that's not really fun for me. And it's not fun listening either. Yeah. Um, as far as some of this, like different kinds of perspectives I don't, I, I don't think that it's made me, I guess, I don't think it's changed my decisions. Like, I think that I would have kept the same decisions. I have, it's been kind of weird having so many people say, oh, it would be so cool if Eclipse did blank, or it'd be, I really think that this is what will happen with Eclipse. And like, I think that it's interesting to hear uh, external perspective, like like external people who are saying like this is what would be cool for your character, but it's also very bizarre still. And so I try just not to let any of that really fall in when playing. I just try to think back to what did you originally want your character to be about, and like if I play my character true to how I want to play it and how I originally wanted to play it, I don't know how I could. I guess have any issues uh, and I don't think that I would change anything I would do because again I had a plan for my character and if I continue doing it I think that'll be good basically there's not much more I can say than that just to echo Haley's uh, sentiments that you know, I, I love hearing fan theories. People hit me up all the time just the way they hit the, up the rest of the, 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 the cast. Like, oh, Matumbe must really hate this or he must really love this or that kind of stuff. Keep your fan, fan theories to yourself. No, keep telling me. No, no, for real, keep telling us. <laughs> but um, you, you just got to be true to, to the character. And doesn't mean I don't want to interact with anybody. But, you know, 
I have a vision for what this character was, who he is, and where he's going. Griffin has some say in that because he's the GM. The, yep. the players have some say in that, you know, vicariously for just being in the party. And don't give me that look, Haley. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's very fair. We, we influence each other a little bit. But, you know, we do need we I think we all do a pretty good job of keeping that here. You know, we'll pander a joke now and then to the to the fans because that's fun. But the, the character stuff is coming from the heart and that's not going to change. So I do want to bring this up. Do you ever think about what the listeners' opinions are on things and let it change our decisions? We have moved to every other episode or every couple of episodes, Team Slurp. That's for those audio files out there. We don't want to offend them. I could do an entire Zone of Truth on the Team Slurp uh, controversy. <laughs> oh, man. That might be called for at some point. A, a State of the Union. Address, address the nation. State of the Slurp. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the things we, we've learned fairly early on that although we're having fun and this, this harkens back a little bit to our last question, you know, we're by no means huge, but we're, we're growing and we're reaching a whole lot of people. You know, the people around this table think it's funny when someone slurps into the mic. Someone on the other side of the world or, you know, down the street might not. And we found that a lot of people don't. We found that a lot of people don't. But a lot of people fucking so, do, dude. But 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 the people that do, boy, are they ride or die. I love my team Slurp family. They uh, they support me, and I love them all to death. Um, but so that you know that that has changed. I guess that that's a great point, Griffin. You know that hasn't changed a character, but that's that's how we that's changed how I've you know ap- approached the nation, the nation of Team Slurp, the carrying crowd, the carrying crowd that. You know, I got to give people a little bit of heads up. I can't be an animal all the time. Yeah. And I mean, now that you uh, don't slurp as often, I have less negative reactions. Good. Because if you listen to some of the early uh, episodes where you're slurp every single episode, there are plenty of me. Steve. Steve. Oh, Jesus God. Christ. What is wrong with you? Like again and again, <laughs> the every time you slurp, because it is appalling to the ears. It's it's worse I feel like when we're listening in studio, it's worse than listening to to the playback. Oh, it is. Um, and it's this so loud in studio. <laughs> this this episode that would have just aired last last Thursday has probably the most egregious slurp of all time. We don't need to get into it, but <laughs> it's quite the slurp. It was it was really bad. So this is that was a good time for this question. <laughs> all right, we are round and third towards home plate. I know sports. The end of this podcast. <laughs> Time to enter the chain lightning round. So, what has been different about this episode so far? I think people immediately realize that we just have one of the players. You know, previously we just had three. We're going to do this again with Brooks. We're going to do this again with Emily. Who knows? Maybe uh, Griffin and I might do a little one-on-one time where we, uh, you know, talk about myself or talk about Griffin. Um, I'll but- take over Zone of Truth. Oh. False. False. <laughs> okay. Um but I compiled a list of, I think it's like five or six questions that are kind of general um, that we're going to ask each one of the players and, and, and Griffin at some point about, you know, just your role play style, that, 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 this kind of stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. But we're going we're gonna to blast through all these we're, and we're going to ask Haley this week. So first question, Haley, 
This comes from the Wraith ninety one. George, what's your favorite race? In Pathfinder. Yeah. In, what's your favorite Pathfinder race? Yep. God damn it, George, phrase it correctly. <laughs> yeah, George, you really got to put in Pathfinder in there. I don't know, Steve. Maybe you should have copied it with Pathfinder in there. <laughs> I copied the whole question. <laughs> Anyways, um. As far as what my favorite Pathfinder race is, uh, that is very, this is like actually a very difficult question for me. Same with uh, any other type of favorites because I don't know why I don't do favorites. Um, But I really enjoy exploring different options. I don't think I have ever played a human. I don't think that I have ever played like a half elf or an elf. Uh, I've played a gnome, but like most of the core classes, our core uh, Pathfinder races, I don't play. Um, and that's uh, nothing against them. Like they have their, their reasons. But again, I base a lot of things off of the story that is happening in my head. And I find the Pathfinder race that fits that. So if it's a, a creepy little girl type character, I went based on that. If it is. Based on a book that I really enjoyed, I go off of that. So, if a human fits in there, then a human will fit. All right. Similar question, but this one's coming from Joe Potts. Favorite Pathfinder class and why? All right. I'm 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 sorry, George and Joe, because again, <laughs> I I okay. I haven't found a Pathfinder class that I want to keep going back to. I guess I've played a druid, a swashbuckler, a shaman, a barbarian. <laughs> Uh, at the same time um i've played you know a witch i've played a few different things i'm currently playing a cultist i haven't played them all yet so i don't think i can say what my favorite class is yet is, is there one you had more fun playing than another they all have their different things right, right. like that's where i have that issue because a swashbuckler is super fun because you crit constantly and you have all those panache points which are super fun Perry, repost, Perry, repost yeah. <laughs> Kip up So that's all really fun, I mean Barbarian it's like who doesn't want to Hulk smash a little bit um like that's always fun and then I like spells as a whole because that's that high fantasy in my head so that's fun but I'm sure the next class I'll play is another one that I've never played before um so I'll probably just keep going and that Kind of, I haven't played this one before. Let's go with this. Very diplomatic answer. All right. Now I'm, I'm going to have to nail you down for a real answer on this one. Coming from Florida, man. Maybe what class and race would most accurately align with who you are in real life? Uh, probably a, a small race because I am very short. Fact. So <laughs> halfling, maybe? What are those ones? Uh, I could I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking halfling would make most sense there. As far as what class, uh, nothing with dexterity or uh, charisma. Uh, probably a high int or con- no, probably high int class. That's what I would say. I just uh, I'm trying to think of one. Uh, maybe like an alchemist or a wizard. Uh, you might uh, do well as uh, an investigator, or I'm uh, just trying to list all of the high intelligence classes I know. We got we got to save alchemists for Emily, though. Yeah, Emily's definitely but, mixing up those wacky mutagens. <laughs> oh God! I mean, yeah, uh, I would normally have said alchemist, though. Just like a uh, halfling alchemist, it would make most sense. For Actually, me. a cultist is high in. 
weirdly yeah. enough. I just don't think that I'm not into that. Into objects? No. No, I'm not. Like, I, I'm a chemistry nerd who, like, makes paint at work or, tell, or like, does other things. Like, that's very much more... Or at least I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. But, yeah. I don't know. Chemistry nerd. So, that's where I would go with Alchemist. But right. you want to save it for Emily, so... I don't know. Mm. You could be the same class. It's okay. Yeah, that's fine. We'll allow it. This is only truth. We run it fast and loose here, guys. All right. Next one. Ryan. So we now know what the players like to drink, but when given the opportunity, what do their PCs drink? Yakuza drinks the blood of her enemies. We've learned that today. <laughs> Specifically babies, but... Um, anyways, oh, stop! Stop this Yuku stuff. That's enough. <laughs> Get this character out of here. Uh, Nana Opal, I think, would enjoy um, glasses of brandy. Not a warm glass of milk. Nope. With her. Brandy. I mean, you need something to dunk the cookies in, though. No. Um, I think <laughs> no. she doesn't always eat her own. Cookie. She doesn't. She doesn't sniff her own brand. I, I'm pretty sure she would probably serve some poison milk and uh, fun cookies to friends while she drinks brandy and watches what happens. As far as Eclipse, I think she would. I don't know. Mead, maybe beer. She, she's. I don't know. She just doesn't really know what she wants. I think. But I think probably in the mead and beer. She's a blue collar cultist. No liquor, just beer. Yeah. Nan Opal would be only liquor, and, and Eclipse would be in the beer mead range. Probably not wine for Eclipse. That's very refined. She's not yeah, that. Yeah, doesn't seem right. Beer mead works. I, c- I can see that. All right, last question of the night, guys. This is coming from our good friend, Rusted Chrome. If you could pick any comic book or movie hero, heroine, or villain to take your character's spot in the game, who would it be and Why? I'd also like to hear Griffin's choice as well. Sorry, Rusted, you gotta wait for that one. We'll get there. I don't know, I think uh, Wednesday Adams might do well as an Eclipse stand-in. She, I feel like she would probably fit in very, very well. That seems right. Yeah, it's that's pretty spot-on for Eclipse. That's pretty spot-on. Yeah. That's about that's that's the that's the person. I don't think I've got anyone who would take the place of Nana Opal right now. Having an old woman is an evil Minerva McGonagall. No, <laughs> Spetty White, Bellatrix Lestrange. Betty White, good God, <laughs> she's not that old. She can have fun with it though. Betty White would bring would bring some fun to the character. Oh yeah, but I uh, I think Nan Opal is a hard one because it's like I don't know for some reason a lot of old women get portrayed in a very like either uh, sweet and innocent, which she is not, or uh, sassy and also still like grandmothery, and Nan Opal is a little grandmothery. It's just like the the evilness is I don't know. An old version of the lady from Misery. Ooh, what about um, the one old High Garden lady from Game uh, of Thrones? Oh, Elena Tyrell. Yes, that might be the Queen of Thorns. That'd be a good one. That that would do. That'd be cool. I want her to know that I did it. (laughs) That would do. Yes, that 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 works. 
Haley, not only did you make your will save to make it out of the zone of truth, you also succeeded your reflex save to make it out of the chain lightning round. Congratulations. Aw, thanks, Steve. You killed it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. People know where to find you on the Discord and on social media and that kind of stuff. But this is your chance to say hi to the fans. I mean, hi, guys. Thanks for listening. It's been uh, quite a blast. I I was uh, very surprised to have so many people who listened to us, as we explained earlier. So I just... I really appreciate all of the uh, love that we've gotten, and um, I run the Twitter fifty time fifty percent of the time with Steve. Oh yeah, and I run the Instagram. I don't know about a third of the time between <laughs> Emily and Steve and I at some combo. So if you do want to talk to me, I'm also in the Discord, uh, but you can also hit me up on either of those social medias. I'm sure I'll probably respond eventually. So. Uh, until then, like, just thank you guys. I really appreciate this. It's been a lot of fun having you on. Griffin, we've got a little bit of an announcement, the two of us. Oh, we do, baby. You know, a lot of people knew this already. A lot of people had heard. But your boys is going to be at the PaizoCon. Get ready, Seattle, because you're about to get ripped. That's correct. Griffin and I are going to be flying out to Seattle on, what, the 22nd to 23rd? I don't even know. We've got plane tickets. We've got hotel accommodations. Uh, one bed. Um, <laughs> Obvi. Obviously. But yeah, the two of us are going to be out there. Um, we're going to try to organize some sort of meetup. Yeah, definitely. We, I want to have a beer with every single HLP fan at PaizoCon 2019 this year. Let's make, make it happen. happen. There's hams out there, apparently. On the tap, too. We only get in the cans out here. And a Renoir or two. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I could I could do with a Renoir. I've been hearing a lot of good things about them. Me, too. Can't get it out here, though. Can't get it out here. Griffin, you've also succeeded your will save. Oh, thanks, bud. Want to say goodbye to the fans? Any any last parting words? Encouragement? Nah, I just love you. Aw. Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.